It's time for a more in-depth look at today's news. It's time to find out who's pulling the strings. It's time for the Behind the Curtain podcast with your host, author Jeff Reynolds. Hi, my name is Jeff Reynolds, and this is episode 15 of the Behind the Curtain podcast. This week's episode ended up being a double shot of Oregon news, as much of what's happening in Oregon has actually made national headlines. This week's first guest is a hero to many Oregonians. A member of the Oregon 11, Senator Kim Thatcher experienced the nuttiest legislative session she's ever seen in Salem. The story of the Republican walkout made national news as the senators left the state in response to threats of arrest by Governor Kate Brown. She participated in two Republican walkouts to deny quorum so that no bills could be passed in an attempt to get the Democrats to stop abusing their power. We talk about the walkouts, how they successfully killed several bad bills, and what to expect in the next legislative session. We also talk about two huge new grassroots movements that were spawned by bad legislation. The Slavic activation movement to get more Eastern Europeans and Russians involved in the electoral process, and the timber unity movement that rose up to oppose cap-and-trade legislation. Each of these new movements has the potential to bring thousands of new voters into Oregon politics where they have never previously participated. My local guest this week is my friend and former candidate for the Republican nomination for governor in Oregon, Greg Woldridge. Greg is a Navy veteran who served three tours in command of the elite aerobatics team, the Blue Angels. Greg has developed a unique leadership training program that he's introduced to Fortune 500 companies, teams, and other organizations to help them create an environment in which humility and excellence are promoted. Greg and I discuss how this leadership training can help Oregon Republicans overcome super minority status in Salem, and how Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler and Oregon Governor Kate Brown fail the most basic principles of leadership. This was a really fun discussion, and I think listeners will get a lot out of how he adapted what he learned about leadership in the military for use in the private sector. Don't forget to subscribe to the Behind the Curtain podcast wherever you listen to it, and please leave a positive rating. The more subscribers and the better ratings, the higher Behind the Curtain will rank on podcast services like iTunes and Google Podcasts, among many others. Stick around to the very end so you can hear the full version of I Am America, the theme song, by my buddy Brian Futch. Quick note about my book. I'm currently planning an East Coast trip in the fall to speak at my alma mater, Connecticut College, and their college Republican club. I'm excited to return after many years and confront liberal campus culture with real facts about who owns the professional left in America. If you know of any conservative clubs, Republican groups, Tea Party, or 912 clubs, or anyone else who would get something out of following the dark money on the left, please email me at info at 5440fight.com. Search for Behind the Curtain, Inside the Network of Progressive Billionaires, and their campaign to undermine democracy in stores or online at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, or Simon & Schuster. It's available in hardback, Kindle, or Nook now. Check out whoownsthedems.com for more information. Okay, welcome back into the Behind the Curtain podcast with Jeff Reynolds. I'm your host, Jeff Reynolds, and I'm sitting here with uh, Senator Kim Thatcher from, uh, it's Yamhill County, right? Actually, I live in Kaiser. Oh, okay. But I have Marion, Yamhill, Washington, and Clackamas counties in the district. Right, and we're sitting here at, before the event begins, we're at the Slavic Action Summit, which is a very intriguing sort of uh, event that 
neither of us even two months ago could have imagined happening. And all of a sudden, the political landscape in Oregon has changed, in the, and in the Northwest, has changed completely. So, uh, Kim, first of all, thanks for being on the podcast with me. Thank you that. for having me. This is working out. Great. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, uh, it's <laughs> you've had some interesting travel issues over the last couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, so we're in Vancouver, Washington, right now, uh, taping this this episode, and, and we're going to be attending this summit, which is uh, a summit for Slavic folks and Russian folks who have gotten activated politically because of the issue over House Bill thirty sixty three, which was the forced vaccinations bill. Why don't you talk about your experience with that bill and how you discovered that there were all these people that had never gotten involved in politics before. Well, I had a relationship with the, with the uh, I don't know if she's the chair or what, but she was the head of uh, Oregonians for Medical Freedom. Mm -hmm. And she had asked me if I would come and testify because I had a couple of bills I had introduced on her behalf. And I, I said, sure, I'll come testify to support you. Mm -hmm. And I showed up. I was walking to the, through the hallways. I could not believe the crowds of women mostly mm -hmm. there were some men but it was mostly women right several children in the hallways signing up for uh to testify in the committee i was heading to i was blown away that this was such an important issue to people yeah yeah and it, it sounds like there were several thousand people there right oh i mean, I, I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, I, I saw uh, Senator Boquist speak at Executive Club last month, and he said it was something like 7,000 people, which is just insane. Yeah, I couldn't. And, and not only that, not, not only would they show up for public hearings on the bill and work sessions where no public testimony at all was taken, they were there in between times, not all 7,000, but I bet all 7,000 of them all actually came back and circulated throughout the building at least three or four times each. Wow. Just inundating our offices and not in an angry way. Yeah. In a very peaceful, very loving, trying to educate and try and get people to understand what their points of view were. Mm -hmm. And most people, uh, I think, treated them with respect. However, I heard reports of just a lot of just the horrible disrespect of the really? people. Yeah. Really? Was, yeah. I saw a couple of uh, uh, Facebook posts and things that uh, people that are forced to wear skirts are trying to. Oh my God. Yeah. To, Just to change ignorant. public policy. Yeah, and not yeah, only that, yeah. this is by the people that say, well, you, you better not even look crossways at somebody who looks different than you. Uh, right. Right. Yeah. It, uh, it depends on which costume you're wearing. Right? That's right. Exactly. <laughs> it apparently is. It's sad. Yeah, one is woke and one is not. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. There you <laughs> yep. So, so this is something, and, and we haven't even gotten into the big news of, you know, the last couple of uh, right. days and everything. So, right. but the, this, uh, it's kind of interesting to go through this entire session. Must have been the most insane session of insane. your career. Insane. Yeah. When they got that super majority, all breaks were off. They were just coming unveiled. Yeah. They showed who they were. It was amazing. Right. And you, of course, uh, were part of the Oregon 11 that uh, felt like you had to do something to yeah. stop the freight train. Well, I mean, we, we, we walked earlier in the session and, and we were able to kill the... The, we call it guns and needles. We killed the gun bill and the, <laughs> the forced the force vaccination bill. Yeah. But then when it came down to... Um, 
I guess the terms of our re- return. Yes. Um, yes. We the were supposed. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we were supposed to also get a reset on 2020. They right. were supposed to listen to Republican ideas mm-hmm. and that there would be a reset and even a reset to the point where there would be a new number on the bill. Right. And I, you saw those uh, documents leak, and they're saying we broke the deal. And Gee, you know, I we, wonder who could have I, leaked those. Oh, I'm sure it was the governor's office. Oh, really? Yeah, it I wasn't uh, the Jenny Burdick. I'm pretty sure. Just. Uh, Based on looking okay. at the picture and, and the different signatures as they were configured and okay. the wood. Anyway, it's yeah. it's I pretty sure it's somebody from the governor's office. Okay, all right. But either way, it proved your point. They they tried to uh, spin it as right. you guys broke the deal, we but it proved your deal. point. Yeah, yeah. proved the point. I mean, yeah. did we? Did you see a new number? No. And right. why would we want a new number with the same exact contents? That just doesn't make any sense. Right. Exactly. It That's is not ridiculous. about the number. That's silly. And so we, they they did allow uh, a Republican to sit at the table. Mm-hmm. His name was Cliff Benz, but mm-hmm. he might as well have had duct tape over his mouth and a bag over his head for okay. as much as they listened to him and took anything he said into consideration interesting wow yeah and, and uh cliff is actually fairly moderate i mean he's not right. uh, a far right no, wing nut you not know, at all yeah, he yeah. was trying to get some something sensible in there that would yeah. have to do you know with dealing with transition if we're gonna if we if if climate change is the problem let's deal with the transition mm-hmm. to make it not to less lessen the problem well, we that people years. might have right <laughs> right well i don't think he buys in that but the, the point being that um you know the climate's been changing forever i don't think anybody's denying that there's climate change mm. it's just to the effect that do we need to destroy all the um, logging jobs and do we need to destroy people's jobs legislate away their jobs and put in a climate czar who can enter into contracts with other states and foreign governments if you think pers is a bad issue right with all the contracts we can't do anything about can you imagine what this would be well like? and and to me this session was all about them giving bureaucrats control over everything right? oh gosh yeah the, uh, you look at the uh, forced vaccinations bill that would have been a list that was administered by a bureaucrat at the oregon health association yes uh Authority, excuse authority, me. Yeah. Authority is a lot more, yeah, <laughs> uh, intimidating than. But anyway, so you, you then a climate czar, like you said, it could enter into agreements with other governments without the approval or oversight of the legislature. Correct. How scary is that? <laughs> right there. Yeah. That should put the brakes on things. It doesn't matter what the rest of the ninety-four pages said. Right. It's it's scary just to think that you would just give all your power over to the executive branch and and never mind never mind the uh exe- or the emergency clause that uh, oh, yeah. uh has been so badly right. abused and and doesn't give voice to the people in a vote seriously we yeah. would not have walked if they had gone ahead and took taken off the emergency clause as bad as the rest of the bill was right. at least we do that people would be able to have a voice at the ballot yeah yeah they refused yeah and, 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 so were you part of those negotiations did you or you not, heard about no, them uh, no just he came back and reported to us and we felt like we did not have any assurances that there weren't enough uh, votes on the democrat side to pass it yeah we did not have any assurances and knowing and just having a few people say that they're a no you hear that all the time sure we know about all the arm twisting that happens and they want this they want this so bad i knew there'd be a lot of arm twisting so yeah we couldn't rely on it and and they they threatened you guys with uh pulling projects from your districts and all that stuff and we knew they would they would call the cops yeah we knew that we knew they would start engaging some sort of fine and we'll talk about a little bit about that later and so (laughs) we knew that going into it when we when we decided to leave yeah that those those were going to be coming 
Right, right. So, so the first time you walked out, you didn't face that same pressure to return, right? No, no. Okay. So, uh, but it was the second time when they, they now it was their pet bill. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All stops were off. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, let's go back real quick to uh, House Bill thirty sixty three, the uh, injections bill. Mm-hmm. Tell me why, because as a, I, I have a degree in zoology. I'm a science guy. I believe in vaccinations. Why right. was this bill so bad? Well, you know, and that you do have a, uh, a spectrum of people that showed up to testify. A lot of them don't believe in vaccinations, and a lot of them do vaccinate. A lot of them just want to vaccinate on a different schedule. There's a whole spectrum of beliefs mm-hmm. it, there, but the, it boils down to this. Should the bureaucrats be dictating to you how to parent? And if we do that, if we don't allow the people who have the exemptions now, the non-medical exemptions, now what we are doing is stepping in that, you know, right right between them and their doctor. Yeah. And telling them this is what you have to do in order to be able to attend the free public education. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, and that's the thing, right? Is it, So that's what was bad about it. Yeah, the Oregon Health Authority uh, would have, you wouldn't even be able to get an exemption from your primary care physician. That's what's really no. galling no. about that, right? Right. And then uh, your primary care physician could be also subject to all kinds of scrutiny and probably really? threaten, uh, threatened with removal of their license if they have been granting too many of these exemptions that really? they don't approve of at the Oregon Health Authority. So, yes. Now, I saw something circulating on social media. And, uh, maybe you could confirm this for me. There was a list of the different vaccinations that were required to, to attend public school in the 70s and the 80s and now. Oh, gosh, yeah. Is, Big uh, difference. Yeah, I mean, that that list was like a page long of all the uh-huh. vaccinations. It, right. it seems really excessive, especially when you talk about the Gardasil uh, vaccination. You know, that, that right. seems like a break. That, that was where the light bulb went on for me. I was like, right. why are we uh, vaccinating against SCDs for uh, well, uh, grade schoolers? Offer it, but don't mandate that. Right. My goodness. Yeah. That and a lot of other um, that aren't just transferred like me- measles are. Yeah. Um, there's just a lot of things that people need to be aware of. And the fact that these liability, there's no liability on these vaccines. There's There was an act passed in 1986 that basically creates a liability-free environment for any of the producers of these vaccines. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. So if, uh, so you've talked to several folks. I've, I've heard about this where uh, there are injuries that have occurred because of vaccinations and there's no recourse for them. Well, there there is a, a fund, and I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but it's called VAERS, V-A-E-R-S. I think it's Vaccine Adverse Events something, something. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah, know the rest okay. of it. But <laughs> there, there is a court. It's a non-judicial court and okay. you go in there and you can present your case that my child and they have filled out, uh, paid out a lot of dollars, <laughs> a lot That's of really money interesting. For, yeah. So, so yeah. they volunteer, not voluntarily, the, the, all these drug companies have to pay into this fund and then they just pay it out on a case by case basis. I guess, I don't know the ins and outs yeah. of how it works, but it's, um, and then there's a report and I might have the bear system. That's just the reporting system oh, okay, and it's yeah. voluntary. There's some other court. <laughs> I don't know the name of it. Okay. It's, there, it's yeah. pretty, it's pretty wonky, but yeah, yeah. the point is that, um, just, talking about the fact that maybe we should look into some of these safety concerns being raised, yeah. you get shut down, you get slammed down and you, yeah. you look at it. It's well, it's, it's very scary. And, and, you know, 
I, I'm not one of those folks that believes that uh, uh, vaccines cause autism. We know that the guy that created he created a hoax and you know falsified the data and admitted to it on his deathbed. So you know there's that, that's that's an issue that, that I think wasn't the been, autism guy. That was a CDC. Yes, there was a guy that worked with the CDC uh, right now who has seen. Uh, some of the falsification happening. And we only know that because he was being secretly recorded. And I wish he would be <laughs> called into Congress to be, you know, subpoenaed to yeah. answer some of these questions so we can get to the truth. But that gets shut down every time, too. Very interesting. I'll have to do some more research on that to educate myself on that. Because, yeah. um, I mean, it, it seems a little bit um, far-fetched that all of these effects are, are being seen with, with vaccines. Uh, you know, I, I, again, I'm a guy that uh, believes what I see and what, I, what I've known for decades that we've eradicated diseases using this technology. So, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not trying to engage in a, a debate. No, no. It's just, no. you know, there's conflict in my mind uh, about, you know, there's a real effic efficacy to it. But at the same time, why do we if it's such a great idea, why do we have to make it mandatory? Right. And also you might think about it and look into this as well. Measles was coming way down even before the vaccine came on the market oh really yes oh, okay I'll, I'll definitely research that more so and that, that had more to do with uh sanitation and better nutrition and you know a healthier and uh, you know, way of living. So, interesting. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Look into that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We'll do. Uh, maybe I'll do a future episode on that. But uh, yeah. um, so we're here now because of House Bill 3063, <laughs> yeah. basically, yeah. at this uh, Slavic Action Summit. Uh, so it, it created a groundswell. And then and we thought that was the insane part of the session. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> and then you go into House Bill 2020, which is the cap and trade. And right. I was there on uh, Saturday when they had the the big rally, or excuse me, Thursday, Thursday, Thursday when they had the big rally with all the truckers and everything, you know, <laughs> 600 trucks uh, from hundreds of miles away. And yes. uh, you guys were on your way back, I guess. So um, talk about not uh, quite yet. Not quite nope. yet. But it, mm -mm. yeah, it, um, I, I know you don't want to talk about the internal uh, discussions too much about, you know, between you and the other senators, but uh Talk about the mood. Like, what what were you guys thinking as you were leaving the state? And and Boquist was uh, out there uh, talking uh, to the state police, and everybody else was all a Twitter over what he said. Even though yeah. you know, it, I mean, he's got a he's got a, a perspective that it's an unlawful arrest if they send the state right. police after right. him. So he's defending himself. But it right. was spun around like well, he's and, threatening and, the cops. And, and what wasn't clear to me, and that has now been explained, and sometimes. He's not the best at communicating <laughs> in the whole thing, you know, yeah, just yeah, as yeah. part of it. But anyway, he had sat down and personally had that said those same words to the OSP in a meeting. I believe maybe I could be wrong on, the, on who it was, but I think it was a superintendent. And he, he was telling them, yeah. you know, if you're going to be coming after me with a warrant, basic without a warrant, and taking me political prisoner, you better send bachelors. I think that's and what he heavily said. Heavily armed, in, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's what he said so, in the uh, media was that he talked right. to, to the superintendent, and so. that is what he had told them. Yeah, yeah. So he was just quoting what he told them, right? But he, to uh, their face, they yeah. don't have an issue with him for some reason. So, you know, fair just, enough. Got, I, if I were a really... cop, I'd I'd rather be around Boquist than somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they were. Yeah. Uh, you know, this whole weekend, we had a. a very heavy presence of OSP officers in the Capitol. Yeah, yeah. And there was no, I, you know, you can tell, you could tell there was 
no fear of of, of what Senator Boquist would do or say. Well, there's a heavy presence of police officers on the at the Thursday Timber Unity rally too. Where nothing, nothing happened. happened. Yeah, yeah. 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 And then you kind of rewind to the Saturday before they were going to have a big rally, and apparently, and I don't know the particulars of it, but they called they wanted to close the building because there was a threat of. Militia advi- violence. Right, so, right, right. I, you know, I don't know about that. So I will let you not comment on this if you like. But my uh, observation of this is that the other side of the aisle took a couple of things and blew them way out of proportion and yeah. because they can grandstand on it and yep. drum up the fear among their base right. and make themselves look like the sympathetic right. Not party. only that, they yeah. can distract from the issue at hand. Right, right. And the issue at hand is that they abuse their power. Yes. And they have done so all, well, for many years, but nothing like this session. <laughs> right. Well, because they could, right? Right. And that's, exactly. So you... you but uh, they needed two of us. So, yeah, that's right. That's know, right. Just, yeah, I, was, I was concerned. I was interested about uh, you know with the death of Jackie Winters and then the appointment of Denise Bowles and and how that timing was going to work out. Oh, and, me too. We were all worried about that. One. Really? Okay. So they, yeah. they, they were like, okay, we're you're like, sworn okay. in and now you're arrested. It's right? like, can we delay the appointment? Can we? You know, we yeah, couldn't yeah. do any of that because of the timing and certain laws. I don't know the ins and outs of, but basically, certain, things had to be done by a certain amount of time, or the governor was going to you know step in and, and make appoint her somebody yeah. and i don't think you would like <laughs> right appointed. Yeah, indeed um, I'm, I'm glad the county commissioners were able to right. there were three solid conservative nominees that they were able to choose from yep and yeah. so denise bowles was the choice she yep. serves in the house of representatives and um we were coordinating with her and she uh had planned a a private swearing in mm-hmm, it can mm-hmm. be either with the chief justice or the secretary of state yeah it's going to be the secretary of state at a as of yet as of then undisclosed location <laughs> and she was going to be ready to go had we still decided to stay out mm. so uh talk about the so you guys left over uh house bill 2020 but it's your stance that had they removed the emergency clause uh you guys would have come back so it really I, is we wouldn't have walked to begin with yeah we would have yeah. stayed there right we would have just voted no on it they would have passed it and then it still could i know there was enough uh interest out there in the public they would have put it on the ballot oh yeah and but i think i but think that, there's two things going wanted. on there right uh, there's two things going on there one is that um they don't like a vote of the people because they know better than the people but two i think they know they would have lost i, I think that is the main one right there yeah they yeah. know they would have lost they looked at what happened up in washington state mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want to go down that track again. They just wanted to just shove through what they wanted. And yeah. That was it. Yep. So, uh, so talk about now the, the the final couple of days. You're you're starting to get a little antsy in your undisclosed uh. bunker in Idaho. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. With all the militia around us. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, providing armed resistance. Yeah. And, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> so how did how did the uh, end of the walkout come about? Oh my. With hours and hours of discussion, uh-huh. um, we, we... And you we were all in different least, locations, we, right? Yes, we yeah. called in at least once a day, sometimes okay. twice a day, and talked about what the choices were before us. It was clear we can't just stay out forever. Right. Um, I mean, Although a lot of people are saying you could have. Right, well, okay. Um, we could have stayed out to the end of session, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what would that bring us? What would that look like? Right. The budget would not have been passed, which meant that the, the governor would be calling a special you, session. You would have to. Yes. You had no choice in that. No choice. Yeah. It would have to happen. And we would have no deadlines on it. We would have no control. We, you know, 
we would have zero, zero control because there'd be no deadline. There'd be no uh, limit on what, what was going to be on the plate. For right. Us. Now, did they, they would have to uh, reintroduce all the bills, right? They, they, they uh, would. They'd die at the end of the session, so yep, you'd have to dead. rewrite mm-hmm. them, re- reintroduce them, yep. put them through committee. Exactly. And, and do the There'd whole process. There'd be all this process. But, yeah. Um, yeah. There, there would be very little we could do. Um, and, and it's hard to say if she would have called it right away or if she would have just, okay, so here's the interesting thing, just backing up a little. Okay. Um, we passed something that I've never seen before in the Oregon legislature. It was a continuing resolution. Right. I know. Yeah. Odd, right? Really? Yeah. I, I, the federal government and uses so that all the time. so we're thinking, what the heck? We can just stay out forever. What the heck? <laughs> but, 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 <laughs> but there were some things... One was the DHS and the OHA bu- budget. Both of those really rely on leveraging federal dollars. Okay. And they leverage the federal dollars, like it or not, for all the programs that are out there. Well, the OHA relies oh, yeah, on yeah. Obamacare. So well, yeah. yeah. So so we had the the health care. We had the TANF, which is basically the uh, temporary assistance for needy families. Right. Um, e the earned income tax credit. All that stuff where you're talking about people who are in really poor financial. Mm-hmm. position and we didn't really want to we didn't want to hurt them we didn't want to hurt them we wanted to get that budget done so they could um get those uh funds leveraged well and politically but, it would have been a bad move too, it, right? it would have been we yeah. needed to get that but what would happen i think and a lot of people think is that uh the governor would have waited until september when the continuing resolution was about up hammer us for not you know for letting down all these poor people and then it would turn into a huge crisis because we're up against the continuing resolution expiration date right and it would be all our fault and there would be all these things that would be coming through and believe me they'd be making political hay with it and bringing back bills we you know don't want we know they're gonna be back in february right right so it's uh, uh, um i'll ask you about february in a minute but uh you you go back and uh, look at Governor Brown had those kids as props during her press release. Oh, isn't that precious? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, it, we know their playbook, right? Oh, yeah. We know they're they're uh, using public pressure uh, as much as they can, and mm-hmm. and so you guys had. Uh, it seems like you had limited options because if you come back from a uh, into a special session, there. I mean, I suppose you could walk out again, but is there is there a lot of we we know how they do this. They they do all of their pet projects first, and then they do the budget. So they hold that over your head, so you have to stick around. Well, yeah. it's I don't know if there's a purposeful withholding of budgets. It could be, but they've been coming out all session. The budgets do, yeah. they get done, they get completed, they get voted on, and they just kind of trickle out. But they have to get done by the end of session. So that's why a lot of them come out at the end. Yeah, but there could be other reasons too. I don't want to you know I but it's always been I'll, that I'll way i'll speculate i'll let <laughs> yeah, you comment or not yeah. <laughs> but i'm telling you it's, it's always been that way yeah unfortunately yeah. and so um i i also wonder among your caucus and you can speak to this as much as you feel comfortable but mm-hmm. uh there may not have been as much um uh, cohesiveness or, or momentum to do another walkout it's very difficult we have a lot of fam- people with families, young families, they have jobs to do outside of the Capitol mm. and another, wa- you know, just trying to stay away and stay away and stay away like that. Just, it wasn't feasible. Yeah. And we would have to come to a day of reckoning. We still, we, we don't have power in it to it until at least 2021. Right. We don't have it. And we better get it in 2020, right? Yeah. Yeah. And had we not walked, which if they had just simply removed the emergency clause, we would have been staying there and all these bills would have been passed last week. Yeah. Well, that's right. Yeah. And then there wouldn't have been any controversy, but yeah, 
and people are mad because we came back. But guess yes. what? We th- and, they're in power, and, and, and I'm glad you're paying attention now. And this is what we've been battling for years. So I'm right. glad people are finally waking up. You know, and I've seen uh, there, there's that Timber Unity group that grew from zero to what is it, forty five thousand people now over <laughs> uh, in a week and a half. I, I mean, don't it's know insane. Now, but I would not be surprised. Yeah, it's it, it's a it, and so they've had all kinds of I mean, you know, people coming out of the woodwork. And I saw a post in there, and I don't want to. Uh, disparage this person but it's it's honest like ignorance like just not realizing how the process works yeah. she posted in there that uh well i didn't realize that uh my ballot uh was mailed every time does this happen to everybody else like yeah. you don't even realize that it's statewide voter vote right. by mail since 1994 i mean you know right. there's a lot of folks that are so just not paying attention because they have lives to lead oh, know. you know they're and, busy and, you yeah, know exactly. I, I get it you know and yeah we're we're kind of freaks that we're in this that, involved, well i was right? in that world of you know i've got a business to run i've got my kids that i got to try to figure out if their homework's done i got to feed them you know all this stuff and i was one of those people until this big tax increase came along yeah when i first decided to run so yeah i understand that point of view you just can't baby at the legislators you can't right you do you have, have to, to keep an eye on it right and that's the problem is that you know you have to be engaged because they're going to run amok if uh, you know present company excluded of course but right well you know it's kind of funny because i i have heard, hear people i don't want to be involved in politics well guess what politics is going to be involved with you absolutely like have it you or seen not what happened in oregon the last 10 years i mean <laughs> <Yeah>. come on <laughs> exactly so i'm glad people are waking up yeah yeah no i mean so we've got these these crazy uh, movements that have sprouted overnight because of what uh, the overreach of the Democrats in the legislature this year. So you've got this this anti-vaccination stuff, or, or, or the you know forced injection stuff, yeah. and then you've got this uh, cap and trade bill, and then you've got the timber unity. I mean, you've got upwards of a hundred thousand people that are now like active on social media like oh my god have you seen what these people are doing Mm -hmm. that never even paid attention before and that's just the people that are you know posting on facebook you know and i knew a lot of these people and there was a lot of concern that if we came back before the end that a lot of people were going to feel betrayed right right i understand that and that's for that reason i wouldn't wanted to stay out but it really was not the best move policy wise and it was not the best move for oregon and it wasn't the best move politically either because then you force a a special session and then you have less control yeah Yeah, much less so it was unfortunate that we had to come back (laughs) yeah it really was the best decision so looking ahead to 2020 the the uh, short session before the election Hmm. uh they're going to bring back we've already heard from uh, yeah where they're going to bring back cap and trade they're going to bring back the gun bills they're going to bring back the uh, injection bills Mm -hmm. uh I mean, it seems if, uh, if if we don't have the will to uh, walk out again, it seems like that stuff's probably going to pass. Um, that stuff. And the reason we were forced to walk out on the climate change, the cap and trade scheme, is because it was there was no turning back. It was irreversible. Mm-hmm. It was going to be such permanent damage to our state. It couldn't just be overturned in the next election. Right. Like most of these other things can. That's a fair point. Even the gun bills, you know, and yes. I, I've gotten to the point where I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I started out with Tea Party and I'm, I'm a tax guy. I'm a small government guy, but right. 
guns are more important than taxes to me because taxes can be manipulated by any you know legislature le- legislature and uh, but the gun stuff really damages people's day-to-day lives it does and but those are overturnable as well in the selection and there there's been a lot of eroding of gun uh gun rights in oregon over mm-hmm. the past few years and i think we can we can start turning that around if we get more balance back yeah. into our state government because you know you you see what they're going to do in 2020 oh, and yeah. uh if they put the emergency clause on then you know we've got a we got a real uphill battle on that stuff um what happens if they get a super majority again how much further are they going to go you know oh you know what they're going to be going not only that here's what's at stake we have redistricting oh that's right the yeah. next long session is redistricting and that's when the democrats last walked out yeah yeah they did it to protect their power that's right and i think we're still paying for it to this day because we made you know when i say we republicans made a deal for them to come back and and we they owned the redistricting at that point and we had a chance to uh, mitigate some of that damage in 2010 and uh some but we still didn't really have power well uh, that was the year that uh, we had the 30 30 split and the 16 14 in the senate so right um we had an opportunity there and we didn't really do much with redistricting there not a lot it was not as bold as i was hoping for right right but then again you got to have to you have to have agreement yeah by a majority of the people and we still were clearly far from a majority yeah right clearly we were still in the minority technically if you look at the whole number whole makeup of the legislature so so i'm looking ahead to 2020 and i I think the short session is going to be hugely i I think it's going to be a real damaging session um and stay tuned for more fireworks it will be uh yeah because darn damaging Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> or, yeah. So, <laughs> that's a hard one to Darn say. Darn damaging, cleaning. you know? Yeah. But uh, that's right. so that's going to be bad. And then, but then, but I think the the overreach by the other guys is going to be something that uh, really fuels people to go into the election cycle uh, fired up and ready to go. Um, so, so uh, yeah, I, I certainly hope so. I, I see this this uh, Slavic and Russian yeah. communities coming together, and I see this, you know, the the injection bills thing, and I see these gun bills, and I think, you know, cap and trade with timber unity. I think I think we have a real opportunity oh, here. So we do if we don't blow it, if we don't right. snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Right. I see the jaws of victory gaping wide open. <laughs> we can just get there. So yes, yes, that's that's exactly right. And, and so we have to come together and get the messaging right. Um, run on issues that everybody agrees on. Yeah, I, I'm sure you've seen Jeff Krupp's uh, presentation about the polling that they did on um, uh, messaging on tolling. Um, th- this was back in um, November of last year. It was, a, it was a, a postmortem of the election. Not to kick Newt around, or but you know he uh, didn't use some of the messaging that was offered to him that would have made more inroads. One of them was tolling. Uh, you had Portland voters, the, the metro area voters, 70% in the metro area, in the Willamette Valley, d- didn't agree with tolling on I-5 and I-205. Mm-hmm. And if that had been made, uh, that case had been made more forcefully, it could have swayed more votes, uh, even from the other side, you know? So it's those kinds of issues, the, the 70% issues, where everybody agrees on that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I, I think there's a, a lot of those issues out right. there. We just have to be bold enough to use them. Well, yeah. I mean, you just look at um, how all these bills, like the gun control, the forced vaccination, driver's the cards, driver's for card, they're all yeah. um, to help them get more power and they take power away from the individual. Right. 
And that's, I mean, I don't know about the driver's licenses, really. That's for them to get more power out, honestly, I think. But, oh, yeah, yeah. But it really comes down to infringements on our individual liberty. Yes. That's really what it comes down to overall. If you don't agree with guns, whatever, I get that. But you yeah. should be allowing other people to be able to defend their, themselves and their families. If you don't, if you don't like abortion, don't have one. If right. If you don't like guns, take them away from your neighbor. You know? Right. Exactly. <laughs> and oh yeah, exactly. And then my body, my choice does not apply to uh, the forced vaccination. That's right. So that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, great, uh, Kim. We got to wrap it up here because we have an event to go to. Yes, we're we gonna do. Uh, do some networking with uh, some Slavic and Russian voters, and we're hoping to make inroads with the community here. Yes. So I'm excited for tonight and I'm uh, excited that uh, you were able to come on my podcast. I really appreciate you coming on. You bet. Thanks a lot. If you like this podcast, the best way you can support it is by leaving a rating and subscribing. And don't forget to buy my book, Behind the Curtain, Inside the Network of Progressive Billionaires and Their Campaign to Undermine Democracy. Now it's on to the Oregon Story of the Week with Captain Greg Waldrich. Welcome into the Behind the Curtain podcast with Jeff Reynolds. I'm your host, Jeff Reynolds, and my guest today is a longtime friend of mine, a man that I've admired for a long time and become friends with and uh, has been an inspiration to me and a lot of folks. Uh, He's a former gubernatorial candidate in the Republican primary here in Oregon. He's a motivational speaker and a teacher on leadership issues, a former three-time commander of the Blue Angels for the U.S. Navy, Captain Greg Woldridge. Greg, welcome in. Oh, Jeff, I'm really glad to be here. I am too. I'm really excited about this. I've wanted to uh, have a chat with you on this uh, subject for a long time. You have done quite a bit of coaching and corporate speaking and uh, drawing on your years in the military to teach a new sort of idea for leadership. Why don't you tell me a little bit about what your approach is to creating teams, creating effective teams, and, and what leadership looks like to you? What I draw upon, Jeff, is my experience with the Blue Angels. I was in the Navy 20 years before I even took over the team as part of my Navy career. And what I saw there, the, the legacy of the, of the culture that they had established was so far beyond anything I'd ever seen before that uh, I... I decided I need to adopt that and present it to corporations, associations, teams, and so on as a way to terrifically raise their performance level. And the, uh, the culture of excellence that we had on the Blue Angels was based on gratitude. Uh, we always was, always would say, glad to be here. And that opened up all kinds of dialogue and kept us uh, aware and in tune with what we were privileged to get to do. And I can take that and, and it transferred directly over to corporations because of the formula that we had. And it does involve a lot of positive leadership. And that's what really drives the trust. The trust level has to be elevated. Now, that's kind of a long explanation, but there's so much more to it that it's just it's a beautiful way of doing business. Yeah, I know. I, I I certainly would be uh, filled with gratitude if I were a member of the Blue Angels. But uh, <laughs> um <laughs> Okay. That's a really interesting point, actually, the, the idea of gratitude and uh, being uh, thankful and, and um, uh, trusting each other, because you see that in so many organizations where 
uh, the, the, from the top on down, you don't establish a culture of trust and a, a culture of promoting the, the rank and file folks who are just the members of the, the organization, but they're the most important part, right? That they, they're the ones that have to actually do all the work and make, uh, everything work. So how do you instill, a a, a culture of gratitude and trust like that? Well, one of the things we talk about is the thunder and the lightning. So with the Blue Angels, it might be the airplanes flying around the sky being the lightning, you know, and everybody looks at it. But behind the scenes, the grumbling, the thunder, the power, the force is from the folks that do all the grunt work, the hard work. And what makes that beautiful is that we recognize that. And within the team, within a corporation, within a, an enterprise, everyone must be recognized and, and their addition to the outcomes has to be has to be truly respected. So respect was something that we had for each other and that's how we got things done uh, day in and day out, no matter what you did. You could be sweeping the floors, but unless you had that level of uh, excellence created by everybody on the team, you weren't gonna succeed. And so that's that's another long answer, I apologize. No, 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 that's great. I, uh, that, that's the kind of detail I want to get into. This is the, the long form kind of interview that I like to do with these uh, podcasts. So uh, we've got a, a, a lot to talk about in this segment. So I appreciate you elaborating on that. Uh, tell me some of the successes you've had. I know you do a lot of corporate speaking, a lot of corporate training, that kind of stuff. Talk about uh, some of the companies you've talked to and, and how they've turned things around based on what you talk about. Yeah, I've talked uh, along with another fellow that I worked with. We've talked to the, you know, the leading corporations in America, uh, Chevron for one, uh, and many, many, many others who just uh, embrace this way we did business. There's one aspect of it that is a game changer. It's a, it's a shift in the paradigm to use a, an overused expression, but <laughs> the, way we, the way we talked about what we had just done, you know, we called it a debrief. Now, you can roll out a new product, you can have a big sales event, uh, you know, change the way you're doing business. But if you don't talk about how that went, you're not going to grab all the positive things that could even make you better and maybe address the things that made you come up short. Because if you don't find the answer, you're not going to do better the next time. You know, the answers to, to what the issues were. And the way we did it with the Blue Angels, we went into what we call the debrief. And we made it a safe area, if you will, not to, you know, play off the <laughs> modern safe area thing, which is garbage. Uh, sorry if I said that. But, <laughs> but uh, what we did, nobody had, that hadn't participated in the event, either as a ground observer uh, making comments for us or actually in the flight, could be in that debrief. And we went in there, and at the top of the debrief, I addressed what I thought I gave a general impression of how I felt the day had gone, the flight demonstration in our case. And then I talked about what I did wrong, what I could have done better. You know, and, and every little thing is a potential safety issue. So we called them safeties in, in that dynamic uh, high threat environment, if you will. So I would address exactly what I had done. Uh, you know, I was 50 feet off altitude in this one maneuver, for example. And I will fix it. So I would say, I'll fix what I had done wrong. And then we go around to each and every person in the room, and they reveal what they had done wrong or could have done better with. And they make that promise that they'll fix it. And if they 
if they come up and say it's happened three times in a row, I don't know how to fix it. That's when mentoring would come in. And it was rich. It was so rich. But the the way we got to the problem was, <coughs> excuse me, not to look for your your own answer, but it was to get the right answer for the team. You know, that's a really interesting point, too, because uh, you'd think, you know, a bunch of flight jockeys, uh, there'd be a lot of egos, there'd be a lot of hotshot sort of mentality. And um, how do you how do you then create that that environment where uh, people are encouraged and um, uh, supported when they admit they made a mistake and that they have the power to fix it? And they're they're the ones that are going to go find the solution. That's what created this bond, this trust. We trusted each other to do the right thing and to recognize what our mistakes were. One of the other things that, that was inevitable was as closely as we flew together, as close as we flew, there was rarely a time we didn't see something happen with another airplane or even on the ground that we knew that that would come up in a debrief. So it was upon each other, each of us to state what we had seen that we had done wrong. And it was just uh, it built an incredible level of trust. And it was just a promise, a promise to the team, a promise to the enterprise that you were going to do your darndest to do it right the next time. So each person, we called it a purpose larger than self. It wasn't to shine your own light. And there was no fear. There was no fear based. It wasn't like, I did this, I better not say anything or I'm going to get fired. No, you, you ingrained yourself deeper into that organization, into the culture by admitting what you had done. So no fear. So you would just, you know, bring it out. And we expected that the expectation was there. And with that expectation came the responsibility to fix it or, or say that you would. So we, we really, we really got tight. And I, when I take this into corporations and, and surgical teams or whatever, they, they look at that and they go, wow, this is uh, this is a game changer. We've even got a booklet on it. Um, that talks about how to implement. And so it's, um, it's something that makes our, our approach to doing things and our keynotes and our training so much different than anybody else. It's a, it's a whole, it's a whole shift. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. How, how does that, it sounds like it, it translates pretty well to the corporate world or to organizations of any different type. It, it seems to me that, um, you know, military discipline is hard to implement in the civilian world, except when you've got a different approach to leadership. Is that about right? That's true. Now, um, you said military discipline. This was, a more democratic way of doing business than I'd ever seen in the military. It was a, it was a total shift from, you know, the commander pointing his finger at somebody saying, Hey, Bob, why'd you do it that way? No, you never had to do that because in the blue angels, we freely admitted what we had done wrong, but not under the penalty of being fired or, uh, you know, punishment through the uh, uniform code of military justice was not there <laughs> because, because everything we had done, was an attempt to do it right. There was no negligence, no intentional, not, you know, breaking of the rules. Now, when that occurred, if that occurred, if that ever occurred, then it brought us to a different level where I, the commander, the commanding officer, you know, I had 51% of the votes and, <laughs> and, all, and all of the responsibility for what happened in the organization. Right. And, and, and I, uh, I actually relished having that responsibility because it brought brought our team closer together because we all wanted the, the team to do well. Now you said, I'll back up 
if you don't mind, he talked about egos. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, a lot of high flying egos, but amongst ourselves and because of the culture that has been established with the Blue Angels, those egos were <laughs> tremendously dampened and even suppressed. So you didn't get the flashiness of the ego, but you got the strength of the expertise and the confidence that came with that high level of ego. And yeah, because you really have to rely on that, right? I mean, you, the, the ego is very important for somebody to excel, but they also have to remember that they're part of the team. That's absolutely correct. And here's, let me, let me broaden that just a, just a hair. One of the things we did, we got to select our own replacements. So we only spent two years on the team, but we selected our own replacements. So what we looked for, we knew that we knew the person could be taught how to fly, believe it or not, because of the prerequisite number of hours and the fact that they landed on aircraft carriers day and night and they had the skill level. We were quite sure that we could train them, especially again with the specialized training program that we had. But what we looked for in, an, in a future team member more was the personality. We wanted that humility not only that they were a tremendous pilot, but the humility that would make them a great, uh, have a great interaction with the public. Cause that's where we were. We were, we were ambassadors of goodwill. We tried to recruit. We wanted young people to see how cool it was and, and think maybe I'd want to be associated with something like that. So it was all about working with the public and a big ego isn't going to hack it in that, in that realm. So, that was one of the beauties that, w- that we loved is being able to pick our own our own people. That's interesting um, because uh, a unity of purpose is really important for a team, right? So um, the the idea of a big ego or somebody who's not able to fit their ego into the teamwork framework um, is that something that you think is innate? That's that's some that's born into somebody, or can that stuff be taught from an early age? The the uh, the ego or the humility part? Which one? Well, uh, both uh, the the humility part of uh, you know having a, a big ego and having you know that that supreme confidence that I'm I'm the best in the world at flying this airplane, uh, but also being part of the team and and allowing the team success to uh, frame your your personal success. Do you follow what I'm saying yeah, here? I do. What, 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 but, we, but what we saw in the Blue Angels was that um, individuals wanted to do their absolute best, and it wasn't because of their ego. It was because they had that purpose that the, that the team was more important in it than an individual, than your own success. The success of the team was much more important. So you dampened down this, you know, shine your own light uh, aspect of having a, a big ego, and you made it shine the light of the whole enterprise. And that that was uh, that was incredible. So it, it sure seems like that's in short supply these days, huh? It is, but you you watch when you see. Uh, I, I get a kick out of when I see the victorious uh, championship teams or uh, stellar individuals. I, I love to see them make their comments. And the ones that are going to create bonds of teamwork are the ones that deflect the credit onto their team. Or, you know, let's say a high performance running back, you know, just gained uh, 210 yards or whatever in a game. Mm-hmm. And, and they're interviewing him and he says, oh, you know what? 
had it not been for my offensive line building those big holes for me, they are absolutely incredible. You know, this is not about me. This is about how we worked as a team. Those are the kind of comments I like to hear on those interviews. And that's and not only just the comments, but the, the actual uh, the body of, of how they get their work done. That To me, that's that's what it's about. Right. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, our society these days seems like it's going more towards the individual freedom and I'm, I'm my own special snowflake and it's, you know, uh, I, 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 I can be an individual all I want. You know, and there, there seems to be to me just a, a lack of, uh, a higher purpose. Like you say, you know, building these teams, you have to have that higher purpose and not just that individual purpose. Um, see, you look around and, and um, it, society seems to be a little fraying a little bit. I, I, do you see that? Certainly we've become more secular and we, and we run towards secularism much more every day. I see a lack of, uh, I'll say it's spiritual, spirituality, you know, where you, you have uh, a code of ethics and a value system established by um, whatever you chase as a, a leader. You know, that's a little nebulous, but uh, I think you, you know what I'm saying. I think most of the listeners will know that it's about uh, having a spiritual leader and then following the teachings and, and getting strength and humility, being humble but being still bold at the same time and clear about what you're doing and what you're saying. So, yeah, yeah society, society is, uh, is slipping on us. And, but what I think you'll see is as we get a little more crazy, I think at some point the pendulum will swing back a bit, and that's when people will start to gain uh, you know, value in their, in, their, in, the, in their values, if you will. I mean, that start to understand that there's something bigger out there than what uh, what they're chasing. Yeah, you know, that's that's a very interesting point. And, and I'm going to transition here in just a moment to sort of looking at the political scene in Oregon. But uh, something you just said clicked in my head that, uh, you know, this humility combined with uh, uh, striving for excellence, that's really the, the formula, isn't it? Spot on, Jeff. You hit it. You hit a home run on that. That's exactly what it's all about. And that's what makes excellence in teams as well. I mean, you, you bring a bunch of people together with that philosophy and that, uh, that set of uh, uh, ways of doing things, and you're going you're gonna to succeed. Okay, so uh, you, you ran uh, for the Republican nomination for governor in 2018, and uh, you came up short in that chase, but uh, you, you kind of established yourself. You, you um, made yourself familiar to a lot of folks here in Oregon. Uh, what, would you, what advice would you give to, uh, obviously we're in a super minority in both houses in, the, uh, in Salem, and we have seen all kinds of desperate moves by the Republicans to stop some really bad legislation. Looking to 2020, looking to uh, trying to change our fortunes here as Republicans in Oregon. What advice would you give to Republican candidates, the Republican Party, the consultants, the folks that run the Republican political machine to try to turn around what we've uh, had is is a track record of failure for a very long time. Dennis Richardson, of course, being the the uh, shining exception to that. All right. Well, I'll, I'll just talk about a few mechanics uh, that 
I think I, you know, I, in my debrief to everyone, those were my fault, uh, why we didn't succeed. And that was getting into the race too late. If you're a qualified candidate and you've got a message and you feel like you can win, get in early because you need the name recognition and, you know, politics is all about, unfortunately, about getting the financial support to be able to put your ideas out there. So get in early. Mechanically, you got to do that and you got to be a good candidate. Uh, what I would say is, you know, let's stop talking also about draining the swamp. You know, the pe people in Oregon are fantastic and people that work in the state offices are good people and they want to do a good job, but they're being led improperly. They're being led down a path that's narrow and it doesn't cover all of Oregon. It doesn't cover eastern and uh, uh, southern Oregon, where life is a lot tougher than what we see here in the Willamette Valley. So, <laughs> um, you know, broaden your scope and, uh, and, and your appeal. Attack issues head on. Don't be afraid. And, and bring some leadership to this whole, uh, this whole aspect of, of, of changing public policy for the benefit of all Oregonians. But, and I mean all, each and every Oregonian has something to, to go on with, with these public policies that you can, that you can bring about. You know, and that's, that's interesting. Obviously we've talked for many, many years about the uh, rural and urban divide in Oregon and it, it's growing wider and it's becoming more of a problem. So we are less unified as a state than we used to be. And, and kind of similar on the national scale too, right? Is you know, we see this right. culturally. Uh, so we, we lack this sense of purpose, but, I also look at some of these public policies that come out and, and you look at the um, uh, foster care system or you look at our education system or you look at uh, you know, even the cap and trade bill that uh, they tried to push through that uh, uh, was uh, successfully uh, delayed anyway. <laughs> it looks like it's going to come back next session. But uh, I look at all these these policies and I think, okay, if this is the problem you're trying to solve, you're not solving it. So what's the real motivation here? Why why do these bills come out or, or you know, why is there such a lack of oversight on our education system, on our transportation system, on our uh, foster care system that have caused national level crises in Salem? I, I just don't get what they're doing uh, on the other side of the aisle. I'll just have to tell you, Jeff, it's poor leadership and it's kowtowing to uh, small interest to, you know, the, the little boutique projects as uh, a politician said about five or 10 years ago. I love that term. Yeah. And not, not the things that benefit all of Oregon. You know, we just, we just got to be unafraid. We've got to go forward with, with strength and, and, and also to be able to convince the voters that, there is a better way. Oregon's failing. I mean, you know, like you said, nationally, we rank near the bottom in a lot of very important uh, areas like graduation rates and uh, uh, and and high, near the top in taxation. So how do how do we how do we call out some of these 
boutique projects and let's get back to basics and fix the state. Yeah, that's the thing is uh, you're absolutely right about that uh, boutique uh, uh, projects. That really makes a lot of sense because uh, we have our priorities all out of whack in this state, you know, and, and you can see that just in this, this protest over the weekend in, in Portland where that uh, reporter, Andy No, uh, was assaulted and spent time in the hospital. You know, the, the police are not allowed to actually go and solve the problem, you know, and we keep, that's what, that's what really kind of scares me though, is that, you know, the last couple of uh, city councilors that we've elected in Portland have been anti-police activists. How do we turn around that to where we can say, okay, let's, let's make the police a trusted member, a trusted partner again in creating the Oregon we all want to see. We need a new mayor. Well, yeah, that's... we need somebody. <laughs> we need somebody with guts and and the leadership skill to convince the councilors and and others in city government, with the help of the state when needed, that we've got to protect each and every citizen while allowing an expression of, of First Amendment rights. But we've got to protect each and every citizen walking the streets of Portland. Portland is uh, uh, Babylon, and you know that's an archetype. Archetype, archetype uh, name given to some place that's uh, probably not a good place anymore. It with this civil unrest and a failure to control it, uh, we're, we're going we're going way far away from the Oregon I knew 15 years ago. Um, that was a beautiful place with law and order, but still you could express yourself. There were still marches in the street. People didn't like animal furs or whatever, but you could still march in the streets, and that's fine. But let's not let it go into violence. And as the mayor, that is one of your primary duties is the security of your citizenry. If you can't do that, you shouldn't be in that office. Yeah, I agree. I I think that um, it's a failure of leadership. And it's kind of, you know, it's struck me that Portland has become sort of adolescent in its uh, in its decision making. Right. It, It just doesn't want to make the hard decisions. I agree. You know, 100%. When when we shut down or basically encircled the ICE uh, headquarters down by the by the waterfront there, uh, and let that go on for it seemed like months. I mean, that that's out of control. That should never happen. Yeah, you know that uh, you can protest ICE all you want, and you can uh, push for a positive change to ICE or whatever uh, if if that's what you believe. But uh, breaking the law like that is it should be unacceptable. And uh, you know we've seen it uh, time and again with these Antifa riots uh, uh, downtown. Uh, I remember distinctly, and in fact, I wrote about it in my book that. Uh, uh, you know, 2016 after election day, they were allowed to shut down the freeways and trap thousands of motorists uh, unmoved on these freeways because all these protesters were actually out there. The, the governor should have called out the National Guard to sweep those people out. Uh, but, you know, they, they agree with these people, so they allow them to continue. Right. And, and it's un, unset. You're jeopardizing the health and welfare and safety of all Oregonians when you let splinter groups like this take control. They're taking control of your government, Mayor Wheeler. Yeah. They're taking control of your city. You can't do that. That's not that's irresponsible. Get get with it, pal. 
Doggone it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's 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 really tough to watch because it's it's a great it used to be a great city. And, you know, I, I miss old Portland. I miss the days when, you know, it was kind of quirky and goofy, but uh, we at least had a, a strong enough um, leadership a city leadership that we wouldn't allow this kind of stuff to happen and, and people to get assaulted with no repercussions. You can, you can keep Portland weird and that's fine, but don't let it get, keep Portland violent because that's just not going to cut it. And a problem, another problem there is if you don't let the police do the job, it's going to break down at some point And we're going to have a unfortunate situation where, armed civilians might get involved. So we don't need that. And then that's, that's part of the responsibility of, of, uh, of the mayor to make sure that never happens and doesn't continue to go that way. Yeah, I agree completely. He's uh, it's an abdication of leadership. So, and you see it on the state level yep. too, you know, uh, you've got uh, Kate Brown uh, refusing to do anything about the foster crisis, you know, uh, 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 DHS. Uh, and then you, you talk about, uh, uh, these politicians who want to do uh, tolling on the freeways, you know, <laughs> the I-5 and I-205, yeah. where they actually right. come out, they, you see it in the polls, 70% of Portlanders don't want tolls on the freeways, and the politicians come out yeah. and say, well, we just have to educate the voters better. Oh, boy. Isn't that something? <laughs> that's, that's really sad. You talk about egos you know, and it's, elitism, you know? Yeah. It, it's it's um, It's a narrow viewpoint that, that people have that let them get away with the stuff they've been getting away a narrow viewpoint and unfortunately overwhelming uh, control by one party that's right that's right so um what are your i know you ran for office a couple of years ago i don't know if you're ready to make any announcements yet but uh, what are you looking at in the future and how how do you think you can contribute to uh, helping turn things around here in oregon well I just hope I can stay engaged. It uh, gets tougher every day with the you know the clubs that uh, the Democrats have now, and I'm I'm really not sure. I I've been asked to consider office again. Um, I'm going to have to see more and and watch more and see what's happening uh, before I even commit to do anything like that. I like to stay engaged. I, I appreciate uh, with you, Jeff, having this opportunity just to share some viewpoints and. You know, it's a, it's got to be a positive way. We can we have a positive way forward, and we can change the state. And I, I would love to talk to any candidate that wants to run about my my training that I do. I mean, I, and I would give I would we'd sit down and just talk about how we're going to do this, and uh, let's get her done. But um, personally. Beyond that, I'm just not ready to commit. I understand, but uh, I was hoping to break some news, but that's cool. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, I actually think that that would really be valuable if you could talk to the party and you could talk to candidates and um, uh, uh, help them come up with their own game plan. You know that uh, uh, you've right. you've done this kind of turnaround stuff in the corporate world and in the military world, and, and it's it, it seems like it should be perfectly applicable to the political world as well. That's it is, and it's not. It's not easy. It's incredibly difficult. But you go in there with a good team. You build support around you with, and everyone with eyes wide open, so that they can bring you the best possible information from which to make the best decisions. And you do it based on the needs of the of the electorate, not on your needs or some small special interest. It's got to be based on the what's good for the state of Oregon and all of its people.
Oregonians. I agree with that uh, 100%. And uh, that brings us to the end of our segment. We're actually at uh, right at 30 minutes. So um, uh, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, Greg, I want to uh, thank you once again. Where can uh, people find you to find more information about your uh, leadership training? Well, they can, they can email me if they'd like. Uh, it's Greg Woldridge. Actually, let me give you obviously that's my name. Let me give you the, the uh, email address is Rugdance, my old Navy call sign, which has to do with being called on the carpet too many times <laughs> and shuffling my feet. <laughs> so that was my, and everybody in the Navy gets a call sign, but I just, I just, uh, everybody knows me that way of my, of my old shipmates. So I, I adopted that as uh, my email address, Rugdance at Comcast.net. Just send me a note and we'll, ch- we'll chat. Outstanding. Thank you very much, Greg Woldridge. I appreciate you being on Behind the Curtain with Jeff Reynolds. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate you doing this this good work for Oregon. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And yeah, we will continue pushing forward. I'm glad to be here. Take care. Thanks for checking out the Behind the Curtain podcast. I want to thank my buddy Brian Futch for providing me the theme song, I Am America, produced by Cass Anawati. Join us next Thursday for another episode of Behind the Curtain with Jeff Reynolds. Say it loud.